0: You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. So as I was dividing up the texts for uh, this sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, you know, I, I saw what text uh, was going to land last week on Mother's Day, uh, and I had to ask myself, you know, if I was going to preach on Mother's Day, a sermon about the doctrine of hell, Uh, and and I even thought about combining some of the verses together uh, so I could preach the end of Mark chapter 9 a week early, Uh, but then I looked to Mark chapter 10, and I realized that I'd actually be preaching about divorce on Mother's Day, Uh, and and I realized that that wasn't much better, uh, so I just kept the, the text as they were. Uh, but one of the reasons that I love preaching through books of the Bible verse by verse, like we've been doing through the Gospel of Mark, is that there's never any question as to why we're studying a particular topic. Uh, last week, I didn't preach on hell because I wanted to try and scare anyone about the realities of it. It was simply because those verses were the next set of verses in Mark's Gospel. And the same is true today as we're talking about marriage and divorce. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is still on the road to Jerusalem and his crucifixion is quickly approaching. So he's fully utilizing every one of these last teaching opportunities that he has with his disciples. So all of these Kind of seemingly random uh, texts that we 've been studying on faith and humility and hell and now divorce they 're all really just I see it as is Jesus trying to help his disciples cram for their final exam because uh, very soon Jesus is going to be gone, and then the real test is going to begin for these men so he 's helping them prepare while he's still present with them on earth. So don't feel this morning as we study this text, don't feel like I'm trying to single anyone out with anything that I'm going to say this morning. I didn't approach this text uh, with any individual in mind. I'm just preaching on this topic because Jesus preached on it and because Mark and the Holy Spirit thought that this teaching was vital enough that it needed to be included in this gospel so it could be preserved for future generations. Um, I also want to say, before I dive in, uh, that it can be really easy to hear that I'm going to preach a sermon about divorce, and then just don't want to immediately tune out, because you don't think that anything I'm going to say is going to have anything to do with your particular circumstances in life. I mean, some of you are happily married and have been happily married for years, uh, and you think that divorce is never going to be an issue for you. Uh, Some of you are already divorced, so maybe you think that it's too late to learn anything about it. Maybe this sermon would have been helpful years ago, but not now. Uh, some of you aren't even married at all. Either you've never married or maybe your spouse has passed away. Uh, so, so you might think that, that what I'm about to say that doesn't have anything to do with you. Nothing is going to pertain to you. Uh, but I promise that no matter where you are in life, this text is for you. Whether you're single, already divorced, contemplating uh, a divorce, widowed, or or happily married, there are important truths here uh, that we can mine from God's Word. Uh, So I say that at the the very beginning to to ask you not to to check out before we've even begun. Uh, So let me go ahead and read our text, and then we're going to examine it from three different angles. We're going to ask ourselves why Jesus taught on marriage and divorce in the first place. Why is he bringing it up now in Mark chapter 10? And then we're going to look at what exactly he taught about it. And finally, we're going to see how his teachings can relate to the particular uh, specific situations facing those of us in our congregation. Uh, So let me go ahead and read Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So first, let's ask that why question. Why did Jesus take this opportunity here in Mark chapter 10 to teach on divorce? And there's a couple of answers to that question. First, it's pretty obvious that he gets into this conversation because the Pharisees are here trying to trap him into having this conversation. Jesus is now in the region of Judea. He's near Jerusalem. This is prime Pharisee territory. So Jesus is in a a much more hostile area to his ministry than he ever experienced over in Galilee. And so Jesus is, uh, as he's here, he, he is approached by the Pharisees, and they approach him in order to ask a question, but they're not trying to better understand the teachings of Jesus. They're simply trying to trap Jesus. Uh, Several chapters ago, you may remember, I talked about John the Baptist and how King Herod had him imprisoned and then beheaded. And the reason John ended up being imprisoned in the first place was because John was actually speaking out against Herod and his marriage to his half-brother's wife. Uh, Herod and Herodias had both cheated on their spouses and had an affair with one another, and then they divorced those spouses in order that Herod could marry his half-brother's wife, who was also his own niece. So needless to say, Herod's marriage was scandalous uh, and extremely unpopular among the Jewish people, And Herod was always concerned about the potential for uh, uprisings and rioting because just how despised he was by the general public. So it's no coincidence that the Pharisees now just happened to ask Jesus about one of the biggest hot topic, uh, moral and even political issues of their day. They know Jesus is going to land on the conservative side in his stance on marriage. And in fact, they're hoping he's going to, so that maybe word just might get back to Herod and he'll be thrown into prison just as John had been thrown into prison. Uh, so that's the first reason that this conversation occurs. Uh, But there's also a a second and and really more important reason that Jesus takes the bait and he answers their questions. And it's because that the the traditions of the Pharisees have wandered so far away from the teachings of Scripture. Uh, Jesus understands the trap that they're trying to lay for him. Uh, He's not ignorant of it. Uh, But the the traditions of the Pharisees have wandered so far away from the teachings of the Bible that Jesus decides that he cannot be silent on this matter. Uh, The Old Testament actually gave very uh, clear guidance regarding the issue of marriage. Uh, The Pharisees already had very clear guidelines for them about marriage and divorce and even remarriage. Uh, let me show you that for just a moment. Uh, if we look at, at Moses' own words, I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, verse 1. And Moses, it says that, that a husband uh, was permitted to divorce his wife if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some kind of indecency in her. The, the Old Testament, Book of Deuteronomy, it permitted divorce uh, if the husband found any indecency in the wife. Now, that word there, indecency, it, it seems some somewhat ambiguous. You know what what kind of indecency is Moses talking about here? You know what would warrant the dissolution of a marriage? Well, let me read to you from the previous chapter, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, I'm going to read verses 12 through 14, uh, where we uh, see that word indecency used in a, a very different context. Uh, Moses is actually giving commands related to a completely different topic. Uh, he's actually giving rules concerning uh, the, the building of latrines for the Israelites. So a completely different topic. Uh, But he says that that you shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go to it and you shall have a trowel with your tools and when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement Uh, because the Lord our God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy holy. So that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. So that, that same word for indecency that was used to, to talk about divorce is, is the same words about the, the, that he used for the Israelites to talk about how they should bury and take care of excrement. So Moses, he didn't lay out a comprehensive list for every scenario in which a divorce might be warranted. But it's clear that Moses' intention was to set the bar high for marriage, not to lay it down low. I mean, something so improper and indecent must have happened... That, that it has tainted the marriage like the stench of excrement. And now it's better to, to simply bury the remains of that marriage and move on. Those are the standards set by Moses. He, he sets the bar pretty high, even if he doesn't give an a explicit set of, of rules and lists for when a divorce might be warranted. And now contrast that to the tradition of the Pharisees in Jesus's day. Uh, there were actually some schools of Jewish thought that went so far as to allow uh, a divorce even if a woman were merely to burn her husband's food. It's actually written in uh, the Jewish Talmud during this day. Um, or uh, a husband was permitted to uh, divorce his wife if he found another woman who was more attractive than herself. That's a pretty low bar that the the Pharisees have set. Either of those circumstances in Jesus' day would have been considered an indecency on the part of the wife and therefore could have been grounds for divorce. So in certain circles in Jesus's day, they had in place basically the first century equivalent of no-fault divorce. I mean, that word indecency, it had been distorted so that it could mean almost anything, and therefore it ultimately really meant nothing. So because of those traditions, the Pharisees you know, have strayed so far away from the teachings of Scripture, and Jesus therefore was compelled to speak to them about this truth. And I love in verse three, he, Jesus begins this conversation by saying, Well, what did Moses command you? Yeah, I think that this should be our approach as well. I mean, when Jesus asked the Pharisees, What did Moses command? He's essentially asking the question, well, what does the Bible say? And anytime you have a question, whether it's about faith or family or finances, that should be your go to. Asking that question, well, what does the Bible say? Our views on marriage or morality or anything in between. Must, must never come from the traditions of a misguided culture. They must instead be determined solely by the teachings of the Bible. So, so that's our why question, but let's move on to look at the what question. What was Jesus's teachings on marriage and divorce? Uh, there are some today that that like to argue that that Jesus didn't really talk about this topic. He didn't talk a lot about marriage. He didn't talk a lot about sexuality or or any of that stuff. But it's clear from this passage that Jesus actually had a lot to say. Um, As I said before, the Pharisees were very quick to approve of divorce. Uh, They tell Jesus in verse 4 that Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. But Jesus then is quick to respond to that saying that it was only because of their hardness of heart that he wrote them this commandment. So so Jesus is saying that though divorce might be sometimes, you know, have been permitted, it was never intended to be a part of God's original design. He says that from the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So from Jesus's words here, let me just walk you through three components of God's original intent for marriage. And I think that can help shed some light on how we should understand divorce. First, it's clear that marriage is a part of God's original created order. Jesus says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So marriage was not an institution ever devised by man. It was designed from the very beginning by none other than God himself. And since it was a part of his created order, only he is able to decree how marriage can be defined. Jesus is echoing and affirming what Moses wrote about God's design and intent for marriage from the very beginning, which is a lifelong union between one man and one woman. Not one man and another man, not one woman and another woman, not one man and multiple women. The the intent was that one man Who shall leave his father and mother and who will hold fast to his wife? Till death do they part when they are separated by God, not by anyone else. So, regardless of your own circumstances in life, whether you're single or married or widowed or divorced. We should all stand in unison around God's original design and purpose for marriage. We should all be champions of the cause of marriage as God created it. We should mourn what it has become and how it has been broken and distorted by the agendas of our society. We should recognize that creation will always flourish most when it holds fast to how it was originally made. So so marriage is is a part of God's created order. Secondly, marriage is in and of itself a new creation. It it gives you a new identity. Let me start again there in verse 7. Jesus says that, Therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. We're told that in marriage that the two are are to hold fast to one another. They're to be committed to one another. Marriage is a binding covenant, but it's also a covenant that births a new creation and identity. Uh, When a man and a wife marry, they are no longer two, but rather they are one. Their lives become stitched together. So, So if you're married, you have a new identity, and you must therefore commit to spending the rest of your life leaving that old identity behind. Self-centered ambitions, self-focused desires. You must learn to sacrifice personal preferences in order to better serve your spouse. But lastly, there's one more component of marriage that can also be seen here. It's implicit in this text but Paul will later make it explicit in his letters to the Ephesians. It's the reality that marriage is also intended to be a reflection of the new creation and identity that you become when you first follow Christ. At the end of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31, let me read to you this, Paul quotes both Jesus And Moses here saying, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, So he he echoes those same words as Jesus and Moses. But then he also adds to that in verse 32, saying that this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. So marriage doesn't just bring about a new creation and identity between a man and a woman. It's a reminder and reflection of the new creation you become in Christ. Marriage is a covenant between a husband and wife, but it's a reminder also of the far greater covenant between Christ and his church. So if you're married... Uh, but you're not a Christian, please know that you'll never understand that covenant that you have made with your spouse until you understand the covenant that the Lord wants to make to you through his gospel. I mean, he committed himself to you. He sacrificed his own needs for yours all the way to the point of being crucified on a cross. And it's only when you begin to understand Jesus' sacrifice for you that you'll ever begin to understand the sacrifices that a husband and a wife must be willing to undertake for their spouse. It's only when you understand the covenant that he wants to make with you through the gospel that you'll begin to understand that covenant of marriage as well. So, so that's God's original intent for marriage according to Jesus. And now you know, that we've seen the why Jesus taught about this, and we've looked at what he taught, I want to spend the last few minutes looking at that how question. How do these verses relate to you and I today? And it's here that I want to address some of the specific ways that Jesus's teachings will relate to the, the different categories of individuals that we have here uh, in our church. Uh, verse 10, you see that Jesus he talks uh, with the Pharisees, uh, you know, finishes that conversation, and then the disciples ask him more questions on the matter when they're alone with him in a house. And then privately, Jesus teaches them, he says that whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her and if she divorces her husband and marries another then she commits adultery so thinking about these verses uh, let me first speak to those in the room who are currently married what what does this mean for you i mean it would appear at least at first glance that jesus in these verses uh, seems to leave no room for divorce. At, at first glance, it, it seems to say that under no circumstances are you allowed to leave your spouse, because if you do, and you go and marry someone else, then you're committing adultery. And uh, there, there are actually Christians who uh, believe this. Uh, they hold to what's called a permanency view of marriage, uh, where divorce is never allowed for any reason. Uh, Even in extreme circumstances where you might need to separate from your spouse, uh, you're not not really technically divorced, uh, which is why you commit adultery if you go off and remarry, uh, because you were never technically not married. Uh, And I have great respect for those who hold this view. uh, And I understand that there can be uh, in-house disagreements on this. Uh, But I don't think that that's the Bible's view on marriage and divorce. Uh, Many of you are probably aware of the passage in the Gospel of Matthew. uh, When Jesus is teaching on divorce in Matthew, uh, he adds an exception clause. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, he says that, I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife Except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. So so to me, it seems clear that Jesus is making exceptions where divorce is biblically permissible. Not that it's ever encouraged, but it it is nonetheless permissible. And that Greek word that Jesus uses for sexual immorality is actually uh, pornea, which covers a whole host of of deviant sexual behaviors, from cheating on your spouse to homosexual tendencies. Uh, In the modern era, this would include uh, pornography, Um, anything that is not holding fast from one spouse to the other in a faithful, lifelong, one-flesh union. So, So Jesus allowed for multiple exceptions where divorce might be permissible. Not encouraged, but permissible. Uh, I don't remember uh, the author, uh, but I've, I've heard it described this way uh, several times before uh, that divorce is an amputation sometimes necessary for the preservation of life. An amputation sometimes necessary for the preservation of life. I mean, nobody just goes off and chops off a limb just because... They want to, uh, but if an emergency amputation could save your life, you recognize that sometimes it really is medically necessary. Uh, but, but if divorce is permissible, uh, let me ask you, as we're looking at this text here in Mark, why doesn't Mark include that exception clause like Matthew did? Well, I think the reason that Mark leaves it out is so often because humans want to run to those exceptions and think that those are actually the norm. We, we want to uh, run to those exceptions and we want to make them the norm. In, in Jesus' day, As Mark is writing this to his original audience, the laws on divorce were so lax among the Jews that everyone knew divorce was permissible. He didn't need to make this clear. Mark didn't need his audience to know that there would be certain circumstances where divorce might be necessary. So Mark excludes the exceptions because he wanted to focus on the normative experience for Christians. Normally, the term divorce should not ever be a part of a Christian's vocabulary. So if you're married, uh, even if you've been married for a number of years, uh, my encouragement to you this morning would be never even to bring up that dreaded D word to your spouse. Because every time you do, uh, even if you're not serious when you talk about it, you run the risk of cracking that foundation of your marriage. It might just be a small, seemingly insignificant crack at first, but eventually it's going to erode away that foundation, and you put your marriage one step closer to collapse. So that's my encouragement for those of you who are married. Uh, but let me speak for a moment to those who are already divorced and to you, I just I just want to say, never feel like you have committed some kind of unforgivable sin, because the overarching message and teaching of, of Jesus, the overarching message of Scripture is not one of condemnation, but one of charity and grace for those who have faith in Christ. There can be legitimate reasons, as we've seen, where a divorce might be necessary, especially if there's any kind of abuse. And sometimes it's not even your fault at all. But even for those who do sin by divorcing, there there is still grace that can be had. As Christians, we, we take all sin seriously, or at least we should Uh, But we never want to elevate one sin over another. We we never want to go on a witch hunt for any particular kind of sin. And none of us have any stones to cast anyway, uh, because even if we're not guilty of divorce, we're all just as guilty of our own sins. Um, This this may be better suited for um, a different sermon on a, a different day, uh, but I also don't see, and there's some disagreement on this, but I also don't see divorce as uh, biblical grounds for permanently barring individuals from church leadership either. Uh, when you read passages like First uh, Timothy chapter 3, and when Paul talks about elders or pastors and he talks about uh, deacons, uh, he, he says that they should be husbands of one wife, but I think that Paul is referring to the current faithfulness of husbands to their wives, literally being a one-wife kind of guy. I don't think Paul is trying to exclude those uh, specifically who have been divorced from holding either of the two offices of a local church. Uh, so, so past sins from which you have repented Uh, especially sins that were from before you were even a believer, they should not prevent you from serving and being a part of the body of Christ uh, and utilizing the gifts that God has bestowed upon you through his grace. Uh, So even if you're divorced, even uh, if, if that divorce was not for a biblically warranted reason, know that there is grace that God can still use you to be a part of his body, Uh, know that, that even though some marriages may fail, Jesus will not. So if you've submitted to him as savior, he will hold you fast. And there is no sin, there is no force of evil that could ever pluck you from his hand. You will never be divorced from Christ. So, so that's my encouragement to those who have been divorced. Uh, but finally, let me just give a quick word of encouragement for those who are single or even widowed. Uh, the, though most of these verses that we've studied here this morning, they, they are talking about those who are married. I think it's important to recognize who is teaching on this topic. It's a single dude, Jesus, Jesus. He was never married in his entire life, Uh, but but he taught more on marriage than a lot of married people ever did. Uh, The apostle Paul is the same way. The majority of wisdom that we receive on marriage in the New Testament comes from guys like Jesus and Paul who were never married, which means that the institution of marriage should never be championed by just those who are currently husbands or wives. Marriage is a community project. No couple can ever survive the obstacles of this broken world by themselves. We, we are all desperately in need of outside encouragement and wisdom and insight from others that can offer different perspectives from their own unique vantage points in life. Married Christians need single and widowed Christians. And likewise, single and widowed Christians need married Christians as well. There's not a one of us that can run this race of life alone. We all need to be encouraging and spurring one another on. Uh, I was reading uh, through some statistics earlier this week, and I I read that in 1910, uh, 10% of U.S. marriages ended in divorce. Uh, In 1948, those numbers had risen to 25%. uh, And now those numbers are approximately 50%. Uh, Half of all marriages today end in divorce, And the only reason most researchers say that that number hasn't risen above 50% is the reality that that many more people now are simply not opting to marry in the first place. It's not that uh, people aren't still separating, it's just that uh, people aren't getting married in the first place. So this race of marriage is getting harder to run day by day and the terrain is growing ever steeper. So, so there, if ever there was a time where we needed to be clear about God's design for marriage, it's now. If ever there was a time to extend grace to those marriages that haven't lived up to that design, it's now. If ever there was a time that we needed both those who are married and single to champion this institution of marriage... It's now as well. So so may God give us grace to understand and may he give us grace to continue uh, to persevere. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you again just for this covenant of marriage. Uh, Thank you for what it represents. Uh, The sacrifices made by husbands and wives really are meant to reflect how you made the ultimate sacrifice for us all, for the sake of our sins. And may we never forget this precious reality. May may that be the hope upon which all of us in this room, married or not, may all of us place our hope and faith in that. I ask all of that in Christ's name, amen.